Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Daf Differently. Jeremy Kalmanovsky with you, learning today, track take Nidarim, page 75. You know, this is a Daily Daf. What's on a given page or what's off a given page is really just a function of the printers and how much space there is and how much commentary there is. So the material we're going to cover today and for the next two days won't necessarily break up the, uh, via the page itself, but we'll take a little thematic material and, uh, and read it together. On our page, we're going to get what is really kind of an arcane discussion, uh, which is interesting from my perspective, principally because it reveals something about the Talmud's mindset. In particular, what interests the Talmud? What does it feel is worth discussing? What we'll have today is a, a discussion between Rabbi Eliezer and the consensus of the sages in the Mishnah, and then the Gemara will go on to analyze Rabbi Eliezer's position in uh, in a sort of an analytical way and ask what's behind his position, what is the what is the sort of conceptual construct surrounding his position. Now, what's interesting about that is that the law does not follow the individual's view; it follows the consensus view. So, essentially, we're going to spend the next page and a half or so interrogating the conceptual underpinnings of what is by all accounts not the law. You know, if, if you think that the Talmud is simply a law book telling you what to do, uh, you're going to be misled and you're going to be disappointed because lots and lots of discussions don't end up with the ruling. And a case like this, which is in which something is not the ruling, is still considered worthy of a fairly thorough investigation. What I think that means about the Talmud's mindset is that they're not just after uh, a rule about what to do. They're really, they're really always interested in all the opinions, uh, including the rejected ones. And there's a special kind of curiosity and respect that goes with those sort of intellectual values. Anyway, on to the text itself. The Mishnah has to do with the possibility of uh, the, the uh, re- revocation in advance of the vows. You've been with us. You know that the Torah, the end of the book of Numbers, assigns to the men in a girl or woman's life the uh, ability to revoke her devotional vows. This is certainly one of the, the best examples if you're looking in a feminist sense for, uh, for the kind of androcentric, the male-centered uh, orientation of classical Judaism and the Bible. You don't need to look very much farther than this. A woman's devotion to God and the things that the, the moments of ascetic devotion she, she might renounce a certain pleasure or take a certain devotional vow uh, towards God that is interrupted or interposed with the relationship with the men in her life who, who control her in, in their terms the husband or the the father if she's not yet married and in our Mishnah we ask the question about whether the husband who if he's about to leave town for whatever business trip or something like that uh, whether he can preemptively uh, preemptively uh, make a ruling about those vows. Haomerli ishto. I'm in the bottom of 75a or the middle of 75a, the Mishnah. Haomerli ishto kol hanidarim shatadori mikan ad avo mimakom ploni. 
all of the vows which you will vow in my absence from now until I return from such and such a place, harehen kayamin, I hereby declare them all valid, lo amar velo klum, he has said nothing of legal significance, because she hasn't necessarily made any vows yet, so he can't rule on, on those vows. Harehen uh, mufarim, but he's, if, if instead of affirming the vows, he says, any vow that you make in my absence is nullified, Rabbi Eliezer Omer mufar. Rabbi Eliezer says that they are in fact nullified. The consensus of the sages is that that is of not, uh, no legal consequence. And the two voices there, Rabbi Eliezer and, and the consensus of the sages, will go back and forth. Rabbi Eliezer says, you know, the, the husband has the power to nullify an already active vow. He certainly should have the power to nullify an advance of vow that has never taken, a ca- never taken effect. And the consensus of the sages says that's not the way it works. Uh, it's, it's, it's affirming and denying are of similar status, and if he cannot also affirm, then he can also not, uh, not reject the vow either. So he has to... Uh, only be able to reject the vow that he has heard, and even if it is, and if he is in, if he's absent, if he's on a business trip, then he just, for the for the reality of things, he just loses that loses that power. Okay, well enough. But now the Gemara is going to go on for the next page and a half or so, and with a series of examples, some of which are really kind of strange, and it's not necessarily obvious how they pertain to the question at hand. They they pose a conceptual problem or a conceptual question about Rabbi Eliezer's view. He, they want to know, in this case, where he thinks that a husband, in, in, before he leaves town, can preemptively nullify any vows that might be made in his absence, what's the, what would be the practical effect in, his, in, in Rabbi Eliezer's view? Do the vows take effect for an instant and then are nullified? And that would be the standard way of thinking about, uh, about vows which a husband can nullify. The vows take effect, and then he cancels them, but it's not that they don't exist at all. Or, in Rabbi Eliezer's view, uh, when he makes this preemptive nullification, maybe the vow simply never takes effect in the first place. The Talmud on our page, at the very, the very last line of the Aleph side and the first line of the Bet side, admits that there is really no... Pra- aside from the fact that Rabbi Eliezer's position is not accepted as a matter of law, even under his view... There is no real practical consequence to the difference, but they still are interested in finding out uh, the conceptual framework that he's working in. So they interrogate this view, and they make a number of uh, comparison cases to try to figure out if he is uh, if he is saying that the the view is chalin um, ubetelin that the that the vow that she would take takes effect and then gets nullified, odilma lo chalin klal, or perhaps it doesn't never takes effect does not exist at all. The Talmud tries to answer this question by reporting certain of the back and forth between the sages and Rabbi Eliezer about this view, and they try to extract, if the sages answer him by making point X, it would appear that they must think that the vows never took effect at all, or if they answer by uh, raising point Y, it would appear that they think the vows take effect and then are nullified. And the truth is that there's evidence for each of these two positions, as the Talmud will come out and say, ultimately we can't decide, uh, uh, retort X looks like, like Chalin, that the, the Ubetelin, retort X looks like the sages think that he, he thinks the vows take effect and are then nullified, and retort Y looks like he thinks they never take effect at all, and there's no final answer to that question. One of the pieces of evidence is a little bit relevant to us as we 
study this passage in late summer and head towards the high holidays, I'm on 75B, about uh, five lines down or six lines down from the page. It says, Tashma, Amarla and Rabbi Eliezer, the, the Talmud will cite now a Tanaitic text, a Mishnaic era text between Rabbi Eliezer and the sages and use this as evidence. Amar lahem Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer responds to his interlocutors. A person may not nullify his own, a man may not nullify his own vows once he has vowed them, and yet he may nullify his own vows in advance before he ever vows them. Sound familiar? What, what are we going to recite on the tenth day of Tishrei? Kol Nidrei, or the ninth, ninth day of Tishrei? Kol Nidrei. There is the idea that the Talmud has that you can in advance say, any vows that I may vow uh, are hereby nullified before we ever make those vows. And that is clearly a case where the vow never takes effect to begin with. Rabbi Eliezer extrapolates from that case to, to our case, Makom shemefer nidre ishto misha tidor enodin sheyafer nidre ishto ad shelotidor. So a person cannot nullify his own vows retroactively, but can do so prospectively. But a man can nullify his wife's vows retroactively. So he certainly should be able to uh, nullify them prospectively. Again, the, the particular law does not matter to us, because the law is not going to follow Rabbi Eliezer, but the case that he's using as evidence should be familiar to us. We do have a liturgical practice of preemptively nullifying any vows before we make them. Now, of course, we know that these are not our personal, this is sort of anti-Semitic, uh, you know, canard that Jews uh, state at the beginning of the year that they hereby promise not to keep their promises. That's not what we're saying. We're, we're saying that our uh, our promises to God may may be preempted before we ever make them. Um, anyway, I thought that you would find that particular piece interesting. And there's a, a series of other examples that we bring also from uh, from the realm of Tuma and Tahara, uh, examples from the realms of the laws of purity and impurity. But in the end of the day, Rabbi Eliezer's position is not the law, and we were interested, but it is not determined. And that's what we study on 75A and B and into 76A as well. Thanks for learning today's page with me, and I look forward to learning with you again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.